So, uh, but it's a beautiful night and a great night to study the Bible. So if you would, make your way to Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we find ourselves. Picking it up, chapter 6, continuing on through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. And again, I encourage you guys to get your Bibles out, get them open, get a pencil, get a paper, notepad, however you like to do those things. I think it's always important that you're ready to hear from the Lord and follow along with us as you can um, with your Bible as well. So, um, yeah, just continue to pray. Uh, the Lord will continue to heal some of the, those that are going through some medical issues. And so our brother Thomas and Marty and Carl and all there's some others. Like I said, the list is kind of longer than normal, so um, continue to pray for them. And um, yeah, that's what we have. And we, again, I just uh, put it out for you guys. Anybody that wants to help out and support, um, we'd like to get a couple hard drives to store our videos on on our new computer we just bought. So if you'd like to participate in that, you can give online or however you choose to do it while you're here or whatever that's a, a need that's open. If you'd like to be a part of that, that would be a blessing. All right, uh, Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we find ourselves, so let's go before the Lord, and we'll pick it up there in verse 1. Father, now as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that you would just uh, speak in our hearts, Lord, continue to move through our midst, Lord, ask that you would just touch those that are sick and um, various things, Lord, it's pretty broad, and so we ask that you would work through our brothers that aren't doing well and uh, sisters, Lord, that, um, again, you would touch their bodies. And, Father, now as we look into your word, um, again, Father, you want to speak to us, and you know us far better than we know ourselves ever could And uh, we're thankful that you just meet us right where we are. And we know we'll do that tonight, Lord. So uh, we're excited to hear from you. And we know that you'll bless this time. And we're thankful ahead of time. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we um, talked last time about, you know, the enemies discouraging the work of the Lord. And uh, it's been many. And it's been since the beginning of Nehemiah coming back, having this desire to, uh, by the Lord, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to make it a city again, to make it safe for the people, um, to make it uh, a place where they could worship and live, and uh, all that, that the Lord wanted to do and promised to do, and he used Nehemiah, but again, it was um, uh, through great difficulties and trials and, and hardships. And I, I think it's just always important to remember that because, again, it's, it's our nature to always work towards ease. Um, you know, you, you, you work towards ease. I'm working towards, um, you know, getting it all done so I can do what I want to do. I'm working towards uh, in life you know, uh, especially getting at my age, you're working towards uh, retirement and then, you know, this and that. We're always kind of working towards uh, those kind of things. And, you know, it's important that we always remember that our retirement, our rest, our ease is going to come in the form of eternity in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have times of enjoyment and rest and, and blessing here on this earth. Certainly we have and certainly we will. But, you know, if we, if we in our own minds are, are working towards, okay, once I get this done or I complete this or this has, you know, happened over a period of time, then, okay, great, I can take a break, I can take it easy or whatever. Um, it's just not the case. Uh, it, you know, we have an enemy that wants to disrupt and distract uh, at best, certainly wants to destroy more accurately, and certainly wants to frustrate the things of the Lord. But the but our heavenly father, the great thing as a believer is you know he racks uh, and wreaks <laughs> through the lives of non-believers. But our heavenly father again he 
can't do that without Him. And, and our Heavenly Father allows things and uses things that He tries to do uh, to work in our lives uh, things that really couldn't happen any other way. And that's really the case with Nehemiah. You know, he, he first started out with, you know, with uh, seemingly an impossible task when he looked at, came to Jerusalem. It just seemed impossible, the work to do. You've got to be kidding me, Lord. It is like, uh, you know, trying to glue back, um, you know, a 10,000-piece Lego that got run over by a semi-truck. <laughs> you know, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, what a disaster. Um, and, uh, you know, just thinking of the job being so impossible. Then he faced, of course, ridicule from the enemies, uh, intimidation, fear. Then there was the eternal, internal, not eternal, sorry, internal attacks of discouragement, just from all those things and other things in his life. And, and then we know that, you know, um, there was other attacks that were internal, not to himself, Nehemiah personally, but internal in, in the Jewish people themselves. Uh, you know, more wealthy people were taking advantage of those that uh, uh, they could. <laughs> if you could take advantage where they could get ahead, get more money, get more land, own more property, uh, this, that, or whatever, they were doing that. There was greed that was being fueled. Uh, they were just being like everybody else, like all the other nations, like everybody else would do. And, uh, you know, Nehemiah had to contend with that. He's like, hey, we're, we're not like everybody else. We don't do those things. We're God's people. And God's people, uh, you know, are different and we're called to be different. And so he had to deal with those internal issues within the, the, uh, the community of, uh, of what, would, should, what would be and should be God's people. And so we left off with that last time. Now in chapter 6, we have the external enemies starting up again. You know, they kind of took a break last time in chapter 5 and because all the problems were internal with the Jews. And, and now they're just switching back to, uh, they, you know, they get off the, the bench. Uh, they're called into the game here. Uh, and uh, again, uh, they just don't stop. And, and they're happening again. And so verse 1 tells us, now it happened when Samballat, Tobiah, uh, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the gates. So when these enemies, remember, uh, let's put our little map up there uh, here again. These were the enemies. These were the people, the non-Jewish people. Now, arguably, um, as we'll see here, some of the Jews married into the Samaritans, which would have been um, uh, Samballot's kind of, you see Samaria up to the north. That's, remember, Samaria was the northern capital of Israel when it was, there was a civil war, Judah and Benjamin in the south and the other ten tribes to the north and to the east were, were separated you know, uh, after Solomon's death. And, um, you know, they, they had been taken away years before, 120, I think, off the top of my head, years, maybe a little bit more, uh, off by the Assyrians, and uh, they had resettled other people there. And, and then at this point, and even to this day, there, I imagine there was a few Jews left, but there wasn't a whole lot. You know, the Assyrians had brought in other people. But in Nehemiah's day, now some of the Jews had been marrying the uh, those people living in Samaria, and when we get to Jesus's day, in about four hundred plus years from this time, they'll be called the Samaritans. They really weren't, certainly weren't full Jews. Um, a lot of half, I don't know about a lot, but some half Jews, and then just some non-Jews at all. And and again, Sam Ballot represents that. So. Uh, that, those were the enemies of God's people way back then. They, Jews didn't like them. Of course, you know, in Jesus' day, a lot of because of, of this, what we're reading here in Nehemiah. Then you had, you know, the enemies to the south, and then, you know, uh, Tobiah, and then you had Gershom the Arab, and obviously, you know, the Arabs still spot today on the east side there. Um, and, 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 then, and again, there was the enemies to the west, which would be in the old Philistine countries. And so again, these guys now had heard um, that the work was almost done. 
everybody outside of Jerusalem had heard about. Now we'll see why they had heard about it um, at the end of this chapter and a lot more in the next chapter because there was a lot of in spies and intrigue. It's you know it, it would make a good spy novel here. Uh, you could write a book about this. Uh, but um, we we can see that everybody knows that um, that he uh, that every, the walls were being that were the walls were done. Now there was gates left to be hung, which were pretty significant. And and again, you know, here's a picture of you know, given the idea of them building the wall, and then where those guys are up a little higher. And then if you look into the far distance of this picture, you'll see an opening. But the gates were reinforced in a number of ways uh, for for storage of things. Of course, commerce took place there. And of course, it was a, a better place to keep out of the weather and armaments were there. So uh, again, here's our little model um, that that somebody did, and you can see the gates. You know where those kind of more square places along the wall um, reinforced, and those gates, you know, and scattered all the way around um, the uh, city of Jerusalem. So again, the city walls were there, but there, the gates weren't hung, and um, that's pretty amazing. You know, we, we've come a long way. Uh, to think that you know everything was finished, but just hanging the gates, and um, that was a lot of work. And we'll we'll see that they completed everything in in fifty less than two months. Uh, and, and and we'll talk about that as we get to it. I'm jumping ahead here, but just think about that. So they had heard about this because again they had a lot of spies. There was some intermarriage. We'll we'll find out. And now they realize this is just about done. Man, they are just about done getting this wrapped up. And then, you know, we can't bully them. And I'll use the word bully, but it was far more than, you know, the, the word we use for bullying today. You know, bullying is used so easily. But they couldn't intimidate them, you know, militarily, financially. You know, they would, uh, you know, really be in a very strong position here. So, uh, you know, they... They knew that. And so verse 2 says, Then Samballat and Gershom sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, I don't know about you, but I would never want to go to a place that's named Ono. <laughs> Sorry, bad joke there. <laughs> if it's Ono, you're like, Oh no, uh, oh no. <laughs> kind of a tongue-in-cheek there, but uh, again, they hear that it's almost done. Now, picture this in your mind. It, it, they, they just have to hang the gates and some things, I imagine, around each of the those areas of the gates. Uh, the wall is, is complete, and they are realizing this is almost done, so what they do to try to dis- deter, stop, or end the work is, uh, again, call them out and uh, this really was an attack uh, by the enemy of distraction. Now, we'll, we'll read what they really wanted to do um, by calling them out there in just a second here, and it's at the rest of verse 2, but I, I, you, you need to see this. We need to understand this. Again, there's some important lessons in this chapter, and is that, you know, this next attack of the enemy is distraction. They wanted to throw Nehemiah off track, and that's something that just creeps up in our lives just so much of the time. Um, Again, if the enemy can't get you to sin or be discouraged or get you off track and, you know, or, or, um, or, you know, sin or get discouraged or, you know, give up or whatever, he will try to get you off track by distraction. And what I mean is this, you know, uh, well, let's do this. Let's get involved in that. Let's do uh, be a part of, of this or sign up for that or help out with this or, you know, hang out with them. I mean, it just, the list is just pretty much endless. But it's something getting involved in that's going to take your time and effort and energy and resources that the Lord has not called you to do. And it doesn't mean, and a lot of times, it could be a very good thing. 
the, the thing that, you know, somebody, you know, maybe is, is, is trying to get you involved in might not be a bad, oh, yeah, let's get involved in setting up, uh, you know, uh, a brothel or something. I don't know. I just came to the top of my head. You know, some crazy thing. We're not, we're not talking about that. Obviously, you'd see that and go, there's just no way I'm going to get involved in this. But, but some of those things look very innocuous and they don't look very important. I mean, they don't look very bad or something like that, but if it moves you off where the Lord has called you and you know what the Lord's called you to do, then it can, it, it can be a great tool of the enemy. Now, in this case, we'll read at the end of verse 2 if you look, but they thought to do me harm. Now, I think it's clear that Nehemiah at this point really didn't know what they were going to do. You know, obviously, as he is writing this, I believe, you know, after these events took place, he said, you know, what they really were going to do was calling me out to this plane of Ono because they were going to, you know, it was going to be Quaintance, right? They were going to, they were going to get rid of me. They wanted me to get out of the city, get out to this place of Ono, and Ono was, you know, halfway between Samaria and Jerusalem. So it seemed like a... a a natural meeting place. Hey, I'll come halfway, you come halfway. So, you know, he's not calling them out, you know, to the middle of nowhere. It was a kind of a logical place to go. But he realized later on, he'll see that, you know, they were uh, trying to get him out there to distract him and then put an end to him, thinking that would be uh, the end of the work. But again, we see this next thing is distraction. And... Um, Again, um, I, there's a point to be made here too. You know, getting off track can get you killed. And I, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, in a spiritual sense, it can really kill, you know, the work that God has for you. It, it can be dangerous, and I don't mean necessarily physical, although, it, it, you know, certainly in some parts of the world, you, you know, uh, physical danger is, is a very real thing, but, but distraction, um, and we fall into the trap of that, can be very detrimental to us, okay? I, I, let's just put it that way. So they say, hey, come out and meet us. Now remember, these guys aren't some schlucks, right? They're, they're schmucks. They're, they're, these guys are leaders. Um, these guys are, um, you know, significant uh, people of authority, um, they have roles and responsibility. It's not just, you know, a group of guys asking him to go out and bowl or something like that. These are um, significant people that are asking him to meet. Um, and then, what is his response to this? Verse 3 tells us, So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. So Nehemiah gets this message, and again, it's, these are significant. These are significant people. They're people of authority. They're things that would happen typically in politics, we'd say today, you meet with these people, you meet with these people, you know, it, it was done. But again, Nehemiah is not falling for. He realizes that the Lord's called him to rebuild the city and rebuild the walls and to do these things. I'm in the middle of that. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm not going to do anything else that distracts from what I know I should be doing. This great work can't stop, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not going to be distracted you know, by doing it. One of my pet peeves, <laughs> and I have many, don't ask my family that sits in the car with me, but rubbernecking is like one of the things that annoys me. We call it rubbernecking. Uh, you know, annoys me when you're, dri you're driving on the freeway and the CHP has got somebody pulled over or somebody has just pulled over to the side of the road or, you know, there's a tow truck or there's a little accident or fender bender or somebody's picking up cans or something, you know, some kind of strange person. And, and then, you know, everybody on the other side of the freeway, you know, has got a rubber neck. I got to look. You know, I got, everybody's got to look. What's going on? Oh, he's getting a ticket. Oh, 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 look at, they got in a little accident. 
oh, uh, you know, oh, you know, this or that or whatever. And, you know, we, the term was rubbernecking because you're not, right? You get the idea, right? And, and it just, you know, it drives me nuts because, like, who cares if the guy's getting a ticket? We're driving over here. Let's go. You know, that's one of my <laughs> things is, like, who cares what's going on over there? They got in an accident. Okay, pray for them if you think it's serious or whatever. But if they're out just looking at, you know, a scratch on their car or whatever, you know, keep moving on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like that. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I'm not going to get distracted, Nehemiah said. I know what I'm called to do. I know the energy and time and effort it's taking me to, to do what, you know, what you've called me to do. And I'm, and I'm not going to rubberneck and get distracted and let it slow me down or, or move me off course. And let me just say this, because you might think, well, I'm not Nehemiah by any stretch. Okay, I won't argue with you that. I'm not Nehemiah by any stretch. So let's put us both in the same boat. But I can tell you this, without a shadow of a doubt, as a believer, as a Christian, the Lord has called you into some work or some ministry or something, and it might be something that is a a short-term thing, something that's a lifelong calling, uh, something in between there. Um, But He has. He has. And it could be something as simple as, you know, you know, you just being faithful in something, you know, that you're in the middle of at work, at school, uh, at church or something like that. You know, there's something he's called you to be faithful at, to do, is a work he's called you to do. And again, it could be relatively short or it could be a, a long, um, a lifelong or anywhere in between. So it, this is, applies to everybody. But what it looks like on the distractions for us today is like, hey, you know, why don't you, you know, and I'll just throw an example out there. Let's say, the, you know, the Lord's called you to, you know, help out at the church and, uh, you know, be some kind of deacon and, you know, make sure that things are running at the church okay or taking care of this or helping out in this area or teaching uh, children's uh, ministry or helping out with, uh, this ministry or this or that or something like that. And then all of a sudden somebody comes along to you and says, hey, Dylan, why don't you join the bowling league? Man, we got No, we don't have a bowling alley in here anymore. <laughs> it's now a tractor supply. But, you know, oh, why don't you, hey, join the bowling. Now, is there something wrong with joining a bowling league or a softball team or a, a basketball deal or something going on at the Y or some, you know, no. Um, or, you know, let's be, you know, let's be a part of, of this, um, you know, we, uh, this, uh, you know, we're cleaning up the Watsonville sloughs and we're making sure the birds are okay and we're planting trees and, you know, kind of cleaning up everything there and, you know, making sure the trails are all nice or, or, hey, why don't you get your children involved in the sports, man? And we got this club that we do these things on, or, you know, we got this game. I don't know. I'm just giving you these lists here on and on and on and on and on it goes. And, and the same thing, you know, we have to think in our lives, okay, it's not wrong to do any of those things. And some of those things are very good. But again, we always need to run it through the filter is, um, you know, and say the same thing that Nehemiah said. Well, yes, but the Lord's called me to do this. And if I join this, it's going to take away time from that. And it's going to take away you know, resources from, from this, and it's going to take my effort in that. And, and, and it's, it, you know, and so we have to have the same attitude. No, it's going to take me away from what I know I should be doing. And, and I don't want that to happen. Now, let me just put, give you this, this quote I think is very good. He said, if the enemy can distract God's people, then he has won. If we can start majoring on minors and minoring on majors, we've lost our effectiveness for the work of the Lord. And so again, these distractions can be pretty broad uh, and, and come in any ways. And, and if we allow those things to happen, y- you know, um, then the great work that the Lord wants us to do, no matter if we're doing anything for the Lord, if it's picking up trash, you know, I'm just giving an example. And if he's called us to do that, that's a great work of the Lord. 
You just don't think, you know, you have to have, fill a stadium of 50,000 people. Uh, well, that's a great work of the Lord. Or a building a brand new church building. That's a great work of the Lord. Or, or having an evangelism thing where, you know, 2,500 people are there. We're no, there's great works in many areas that maybe some people wouldn't consider that. And we can't be distracted. And the invitations will come over and over again. Uh, you know, four times, hey, let's do this, let's do this. And again, these guys were important. It wasn't uh, an easy thing to shrug off, certainly. Now their motives were to kill him and knock off the leader. And, and uh, you know, if you knock down the leader, then, you know, uh, a lot of things just aren't, don't go well. So I always ask for your prayers, in my case at least. But again, uh, not Uh, all distractions are like this, certainly to this threat, but they're distractions nonetheless. So stay focused. If you are not sure what God's work is, then what, what are you in the middle of? And what do you know he wants you to be faithful in? And what it, you know, where, where are you right now? And, 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 and you, oh, I know I need to be doing this. I know I should be doing this. I know I should be doing this. And I know, you know I can't do this or whatever. And just that, that's the work of God. Just remember that. It doesn't have to be anything complex. You, you know, the work of God has many different forms And it's all just as important. And if we're not faithful in that, and we allowed to become distracted in that, then you know it, the, the repercussions come. And again, remember these guys sent out, you know, four different times to do that. And we'll be faced with a hundred different wonderful causes and a thousand things that might look good and be good, but uh, if they're not. Uh, what we're called to do, then they, are, again, are going to be a distraction, and it's not from the Lord. Just keep, keep that in mind. Distraction is a great, greatly used tool uh, of the enemy. Um, and Nehemiah is a wonderful example of, why should, I, I know what I need to do, and I'm not going to do that. Well, Don't think these guys give up so easy. Look at verse 5. Then Samballot sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. <laughs> so now the next step is, okay, let's do it the fifth time, but this time he delivers an open letter. So you know what that means is, right? You know, if you ever received mail and it's opened... What's the first thing you think of? Somebody looked at it. Who opened it? Did they take something out? Did they do something with it? Were they reading something about it? You know, even in this day and age, we, we know what that's like, right? Um, let me modernize it a little bit more. You, you get an email or a text and, and you know it's not new uh, because it's been opened. It's been read, you know, the little dots not next to the email or the, the, the text that you got or the posting that you got somehow, you know, you got a message somehow. You, you can tell when it's been read and it's not been read. You know, those apps and programs and things give us that idea that you know it's been read. And you might think, well, who read my email? Who read the text? Who, you know, you know, responded to this kind of a thing here? That's the idea of the open letter here. And that was sent on purpose. And the idea was that, hey, listen, before obviously the letters were sealed in some way where you knew that he was opening it, uh, at least that's probably the intent was. But this one now, you know it's been open, which is means that anybody... And or, and or everybody had access to it. And so this fifth letter now uh, might have, it looks like it even said something different. And the idea and what he was trying to convey was that, hey, listen, it's not just you getting this. Uh, this went through a lot of hands before, it, or it certainly could have at least gone through a lot of hands before it got to you. I don't know how you feel when somebody op opens up some mail that's yours, and most people, we don't even think about mail anymore, but opens up an email or reads a text or a, 
mess message sent on Messenger or opens a Snapchat thingamajigger or Instagram deal or reads a tweet or whatever it is that's sent to you personally, however, you know, things are communicated, you think, well, who else read about this? And that and that's what you need to see here. And, and this is what's written now when he when he gets it, okay, it is, you know, somebody's either reading it to him or he's reading it himself. And remember, he was a ruler, so there's a probably a big crowd of people around him, and Sam Ballard probably sent a big entourage with him, so don't think this is just like a one-on-one kind of a thing. He, he gets this, they, they hand the letter to him, or they hand the letter to his, to his, his aide or whatever who's going to read it, and uh, you know, everybody knows what's going on, the, the, the drama's being built here, and now the letter's being written, verse 6, and it was written, it is reported among the nations that And Gershom says (laughs) that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. Verse 7 says, And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. (laughs) So the next attack that's coming here is spreading false accusation. They're accusing Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, Nehemiah of something that completely wasn't true. And basically, look, verse 1 says, and it was reported among the nation, and Gershom says, so Gershom, as we've been introduced to him, and he was a, a, another leader, and, and so everybody around I mean, again, think of our map up there. All the people around there, and even this Ger- you know, Gershom, who is you know, another leader. So all the nations and this guy all know that what I'm writing here is true. Everybody knows what you're doing, and this is common knowledge, we'd say. Now, again, you know, what a huge accusation. You know, again, when people accuse us of all sorts of things, you know, our first response very naturally is to defend ourselves and to correct it. No, you got it wrong. There's just no way and this and that. And this was a big accusation. And uh, he let he made sure that this was passed around to everybody. What a tough accusation. Now, remember, Nehemiah was allowed to go there by the Persians and to rule that area by Artaxerxes the king. And so this is kind of a sensitive area. Again, the enemy knows the sensitive spots. He kind of knows what we, what we call as our you know, weak underbelly kind of a thing. It's a tough accusation. And, and the devil knows our hot buttons. You know, uh, he knows what... You know, you, you, you touch this subject, and it, it, man, it's very sensitive, and we get very upset pretty quick. And he knows those lies. He knows what accusations that really get to you, and he knows how to throw them in your face. And this was certainly that case for, for Nehemiah. The thing we need to remember is <laughs> we can't stop them. We, we, they, they just can't be stopped. You can't quiet enough people and form enough people and do enough people. and do Those accusations will come the rest of our lifetime. So we need to learn how to deal with them. And it, again, this is a, you put this on the huge list of, near the top of the list of distractions, this would be a big one. And I'm sure it would be on, very high on the list of discouragement. Man, now they're accusing me of this, and, you know, uh, it was a hot button for him. It was a very sensitive issue um, because he was leading the Persians, and the king was very, and queen were very nice to let him go over there. And very sensitive, knew the button. Very distracting, very discouraging. And here's the punchline. Uh, you know, again, now these matters will be reported to the king so come, therefore, and let us consult together. <laughs> so he goes on again at the end of the verses there. Because of all this, everybody knows this. And so now what's going to happen is, Nehemiah, it's going to get back to Artaxerxes, your buddy, the king in Persia. 
and man, then it's going to be a real mess. So you need to get together with us. Come out to that plain of Ono. Now, the other letters weren't successful, right? So now the enemy's dialing it up to 10. Oh, yeah, okay, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Well, let's dial it all the way up here. And it would be a huge temptation, right? You know, if you were Nehemiah, if I was Nehemiah, this is what I think is, okay, those other ones I brushed off, okay, I know what they're doing, they're distracting me, and, and, and eventually you'll find out they were trying to get me out of the city so they could kill me pretty easily, but, you know, at first, certainly it would be a distraction. No, I'm not going to be a distraction. I got call, I got call. I, I don't have to deal with them, I'm going to deal with But, man, this one now, this one's a big one. You know, the temptation would be, at least in my mind, you know, uh, I brushed off the other requests, even though they, they were important and they were significant guys. But man, I guess I really need to do something about this. I can't let this rumor get out of control. And that's the real power play here, isn't it? The real temptation is to correct this. I was able to deal with it on this level and deal with this and deal with this that came up and deal with that. But man, now the pressure's really being turned up. The screws are really being put. And maybe now I actually better do something about this because this could really get out of control. And it's a huge power play. And the temptation is really being uh, ramped up. And um, the red light seems to be flashing off and on, but we're okay? Okay. And so, the, you know, it's a real temptation to correct this. Okay, maybe I should do something about this. But what does Nehemiah do? Verse 8, Then I said to him, so he's saying it to everybody around him, his representative that's bringing the letter and all those people with him to send back to him, Okay, I'll finally meet you. No. He says, No. Such things as you say, are being done, verse 8 says, but you invent them in your own heart. <laughs> so again, I picture, you know, a, a crowd, and I don't know how many, 20, 30, 40, 50, because, you know, he's, the big representatives are in town. Uh, Nehemiah's got his own. Okay, this is a, another letter. Uh, you know, you got to kind of address it in a formal way. So I imagine there's some sort of a crowd there of who's who, and he reads this, and he you know hit, hits his button. He's like, maybe I have to deal with this because this is a real big issue. I can't let this one get out of control. But that's not what he does. He says, man, none of it's true. It's just a big lie that you made up, if I could put it in my own words there. And he simply states that to everybody who's listening and to give the reply to... Uh, you know, the one that brought the letter, and he said, none of it's true, you're trying to stir up trouble, and he leaves it there. You know, um, my temptation would be, my response would probably be, uh, you know, let's mount some good defense, uh, let me try to prove very clearly that you know, Artaxerxes sent me, here's the letter, here's this, here's this. You know, try to prove Sam Ballot wrong, point by point. Make sure that everybody understands, no, here's really the truth. He didn't do any of that. He had the ability to do all that and the access to do all that. But what he understand, understood and what we need to understand is that, you know what? He wasn't going to waste his time because you can't satisfy a guy like Sam Ballot with facts, with explanations, and with evidence. They are not interested in the truth, nor will they ever acknowledge it. And so to, you, can't, you can't satisfy their demands. And Nehemiah said, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna go down that road. Now he'll do something. There's some action he'll take, and we'll talk about that in a second. But just remember that. 
there is a lot of people out there that will talk to you and talk down to you and try to distract you or say things about Christianity or about the Bible or about God or about your Christian life and this or that. And, you know, they might have a little bit of truth in here and a little bit of truth in there and all this kind of stuff. Or they might try to do this and accuse you of all these kind of things. And you think, well, man, I just got to get all the facts together. And if I could just have a good conversation or write a very good email back to them or a letter back to them with all the facts and all the points and all the truth and let everything be brought out, that everything will be satisfied. And let me just tell you, there are many, many Sam Ballots in this world that facts aren't, aren't anything. Explanation and evidence doesn't mean anything. They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in acknowledging the facts. They are just there to cause problems because of their emotions, their hatreds, they're spurred on by uh, uh, demonic influences or worldly influences or any number of things. And to try to be able to reason with them and come together and get all this, you know, it's just impossible. And Nehemiah knows it. And I'm I'm just not going to satisfy them anyway. I understand that. So I'm just going to acknowledge the fact that that's not true. That's a lie. And then he knows what's going on behind it. Verse 9 says, For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. So I know what they're doing. They're just using scare tactics. They're turning it up as much, put on as much pressure as they can to discourage us. And I'm not going to fall for it, but what I'm going to do is, Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. I'm not going to go to logic. I'm not going to argue to them. I'm not going to explain the facts to them. I'm not going to correct them. I'm not going to do all that stuff because it's just, in their case, they don't care anyway. I'm just going to go to the one who's over everything. I'm going to go to you, Lord, and I'm going to say, you take care of it. You be my defense. You set things straight. You know, I forgot if it's D.L. Moody or G. Campbell Morgan or one of those old-time preachers who probably got it from an old-time preacher who probably got it from an old-time preacher. I always laugh when I think about that. You know, uh, well, we got this quote from this guy, but he probably got it from somebody and got it from somebody. But, you know, if we we take uh, care of our character, God will take care of our reputation. If we just do what we're supposed to do, then we trust the Lord to take care of our reputation. No matter what people say, it'll be good sometimes, bad, good, bad, this, whatever. But if we're doing what's right, then we'll let God deal with the the reputation part. And and so that's what he does here. You know, Lord, strengthen my hands. I know what I should be doing. And um, again, these accusations are rolling in, but I know they're not true. And so I I know they're just to throw us off and to cause trouble trouble and to mix it up and just to discourage and wreck the whole work that you want to do. And I don't want to get involved in that. Let me remind you, it's not just found in Nehemiah. There is principles in the New Testament as well that talk about this. And one of them is in 1 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 19. And it says this, Do not listen to and do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless confirmed by two or three witnesses. So the Lord knows, again, as Nehemiah is a leader, there's going to be leaders, elders, those that have a spiritual responsibility within the church, and, and accusations are going to come in. Oh, yeah, well, they you know, treated this person wrong, or they did this, or they didn't do this. You know, accusations are going to fly. But the Bible clearly teaches us and the church, that when it has to do with a, a pastor or an elder or leader, somebody you know that has some authority within the church, um, you don't even listen to it. You're not like, oh, I'm supposed to listen about it. Let me pray about it, this or that. You know, you don't even entertain that unless there's, you know, okay, something's going on. Let's hear the the, witness, the witnesses. You know, we this has got to happen. In other words, uh, it's never to even get into the rumor mill. If somebody says, oh, yeah, I saw Pastor blah, 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 or the elder, you know, whatever, you know, uh, this, that, wait, oh, oh, uh, you know, I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear what, you know, oh, I, you know, my, somebody saw this. And, oh, 
that's not supposed to come into my ears. If there, is there something really seriously wrong that you know of? And there's other people that, you know, know this, not that you heard that from somebody or you, you kind of saw this or something like that. Is there this, you know, uh, something like that serious? There's people, okay, let's get these guys together. Then we can talk about it. But if you're just hearing from somebody that heard from somebody that you heard that you knew, drop it right there. You got to shut that down. People won't like it, but you just no, don't want to hear that. The Bible is really clear because that's the tool of the enemy and you're not even to hear that. Now, if there are truths to it and there are this, then there's some harsh repercussions. Don't worry, God's going to deal with those leaders. But uh, accusations are going to fly and you got to, you got to not even listen to them. Don't even have that thought floating around your head. I um, went to Anastasia's Moana play and uh, <laughs> I heard the Moana song from the, the movie, you know, some of them, and they're stuck in my head. Uh, they're still stuck in my head. Now they're good and they're fun songs and all that stuff. And, but my point is that, um, it's just amazing how things get stuck in your head, right? I mean, all of a sudden, uh, I think it was Ethan, or maybe it was you, Anastasia, maybe it was you, I can't remember. We were, we, were, we were watching a YouTube video, and they were pulling some bug out of a, a hole in a guy's arm. Who was that? Oh, Bobfly, was that you? And that freaks me out every night, and it's been like two weeks. I like have nightmares about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. At the time, it didn't bother me, but it's like... I'm like almost traumatized by something that I saw on YouTube of some insect getting pulled out of a person's body. And I say that all kind of being funny is, but you know how things stick in your mind. And, and so the Lord's saying, listen, don't even get that going so it sticks in your mind uh, because those things will. And then you end up thinking about them and, and then you'll, you know, so stop. And then, of course, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, uh, and there's so much that he tells us about that. Listen, if, if somebody, you know, a brother, sister, there, there's, they, they do something, they hurt you, uh, they say something wrong, they do something wrong against you, what do you do? You go out and tell everybody what they did and how, what a rotten apple they are and how blah, 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 blah they are and what they did. No, the instruction's pretty clear. You go and address it with them and them alone. Talk to them, work it out with them. Tell them that really hurt you or that really wasn't true or that was really wrong or you really misunderstood, whatever it is. You don't talk to anybody else but that person. And then, you know, if, if they still don't listen, then there's some other steps he tells us in Matthew 18. But again, there's great principles laid out in Scripture, and particularly in the New Testament, that will eliminate all this rumor and uh, this whole kind of attack from the enemy to you know, get offended and mad and accusations and all this kind of stuff. The Scripture's pretty clear on that. And of course, Jesus talks about it quite a bit too because he was accused more than anybody, right? And, you know, he set some very important ground rules knowing that that's one of the, that's in the playbook of the enemy, right? The devil is, is one of those things. And so this is what we're going to do. And I gave us, again, a, a good sampling of that. And so that's part one. <laughs> so part one have ended. It's not gaining any traction. They've tried. They've done all this. And okay, so they can't get him, you know, to to give up, uh, to be distracted, uh, you know, can't the rumors to fly and defend themselves. So now what they do? Let's they try part two, <laughs> verse ten. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, Thabael, who was a secret informer, and he said. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. <laughs> I don't know what made me think about this. Uh, remember that song? They're coming to take me away. Ha ha. They're coming to take me to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time. Anyway, I don't know why I thought about that. You old people know what song I'm singing about right there, and now it'll be stuck in your head. But, you know, this is like reading something out of a spy novel, right? People say, oh, the Bible, that was not. This is like something out of the spy, right? So the next tactic is 
they get this guy, Shemaiah, who is, as we'll see, a prophet, somebody that represents God, and po quite possibly a priest. And, and we'll see there's going to be a, another gal and some other people involved in this in a little bit. But he, they're like, hey, Nehemiah, the ninja assassins are coming. <laughs> they're coming after you, man. They're going to catch you off guard at night, you know. Uh, they're going to sneak in. You got, you got a mark on you, you know, the assassin's mark, or the ninjas are going to come or whatever. And so what you need to do is you need to go in the temple at night, which was a, you know, the big building. The temple was built many years before the wall, so, and, and it was the, the safest and the biggest uh, you know, building obviously in Jerusalem, the gates aren't up there yet. People could still get in and out pretty easy. They couldn't go through the walls in any place, but they could still get in and out. So the safest place is the temple and you need to go in there and you need to hide and protect yourself because they're coming to take you away or they're coming to wipe you out or you're, they're coming to, you know, to kill you. Now, again, this is from a prophet, as we'll see, and quite pro possibly a priest and he says, you need to hide in the temple at night because they're coming to kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody told me, man, there's, there's, uh, you know, they paid a hitman or whatever, hitman or whatever to come and uh, you got a mark on you, you better hide out. I don't know about you, but you'd have my attention. <laughs> and I imagine they had Nehemiah's attention because this is not coming from Sam Ballot. Well, that guy, who knows? That guy would lie just as soon as look at you or this guy or this guy or this person or this. You know, this is coming from somebody. Um, again, notice verse 10. Afterwards, I came to the house of. He's having dinner with them, hanging out with them. This isn't some non-Jewish guy that's, you know, whatever from wherever. Afterwards, I came to the house of him. I, he is in his house. So they're friends, or they're certainly, you know, know each other. And uh, Right? He's at his house. You go to somebody's house, you're usually pretty friendly with them. So he tells them this, and then Nehemiah's response, again, super cool. He says, and I said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there such? And I'm sorry, who is there such as I, who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. <laughs> so you know this this prophet, this guy, and arguably his friend or a good brother or somebody that was respected within the 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 Jewish society. There, you know, tells him to do this, and he's like, "Are you crazy?" Me go in and hide from my life and go into the temple and do this? You know, there's just no way I'm going to do that. But what he was trying to do was get Nehemiah to ruin his testimony. He was trying to get him to do a couple things. One is to act in his own self-interest, right? A temptation we all face all the time. Here's the next thing coming down, right? It's all about me. I got to worry about me. It's all about number one. I got to look after me. I got to protect my heart. I got to protect my this. I, me, 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 I, 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 me, me, me. Self-interest. He's trying to say, you got to watch out for yourself. You got to protect yourself. You got to do this. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we're, we're not to be smart and wise and this and that. But in this case, again, uh, it was going to be very clear to everybody that what's important is what you want to do or your own self-interest or saving your own skin. And Nehemiah says, I'm not going to do that. That's just going to ruin my reputation as a leader here. Again, we, we have that too. You know, am I going to do this? Or am I going to trust the Lord in it? Or I'm going to, you know, um, uh, look after number one. I'll just, you know, throw one out there that's, there are a couple of examples of this all the time, you know, when it comes to, to, to giving at the church. You, you, this is the temptation every time that, you know, you, you know, you should be giving tithing and doing on a regular basis. And, you, you know, you get this and all that. And it's like, well, I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of me. I have to take care of this. I've, I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of those things. Don't misunderstand me. But, but the Lord tells us pretty clearly, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, is your life made up of your own self-interest? I, I got to worry about this. I got to worry about this. I got to worry about this. Or, you know, 
Hey, listen, you know, I, uh, you know I, I can't make it to church all the time because, you know, I got this responsibility and I signed up for this and I did this and I, you know, this and I got to do this and I got to make this. So I got to get overtime or, 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 you know, work on these days because that's my schedule and on and on and on it goes, right? And again, that's just two examples of, of many examples that we could list about, you know, um, acting in our own self-interest because... Listen, what that says to everybody is you can't trust the Lord. When we act in our own self-interest and think, I need to do this, I need to look out for number one, I got to worry about me, I got to do this, is what that is saying to people is you can't trust the Lord. That's what it, that's what it broadcasts to people. And, and again, uh, Uh, it's important when we act in our own self-interest, what you're saying is, well, I got to take care of it because I'm not sure if the Lord is. Now, most of us wouldn't say that outright in those words, but we live that way. You know, we do it because, oh, I got to do that. I got to do that. You know, well, not my own self. I got to take care of these things. You know, the real things. And, oh, you know, you can't trust the Lord. (laughs) But that's what it is. And Nehemiah says, no, I'm not going to act in my own self-interest. Everybody's going to see me because I am the leader. I I am. And when they see me doing this, they're going to think I'm just protecting my own skin. And it's just going to look bad to the Lord that I can't be trusted. And secondly, remember, the other thing is only priests were allowed to go into the temple. Only priests were. The people could go up, you know, off their sacrifice and do this, but to go actually in the temple building was only the priest. For him to go in there for any reason was really against God's word. And he knew that. And we get some more information here. Let's read this and kind of finish up here. Verse 12, Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this reason he, had, uh, he was hired, that I should be afraid and should act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. So I couldn't get him to bite on defending himself and all those accusations. So now let's try this next tactic, him to be in fear and think, man, you, you are, you're, your heads are going to roll and it's going to be your head. And so they were going to try to get him to do that. And then brought, look at Nehemiah. He's worried about himself. He's going to the temple where he's not should be in there, you, you know, uh, uh, again. And, and they were going to use that to discredit him, which would then discourage the people. Remember, he's over at his house, and he's saying this plan was from the Lord when it was really a trap. And we need to be aware of such things. There, you know, there are false prophets today or people that just speak in the name of the Lord, but really it's coming from them. I really think the Lord says, you know, you know and, and, dead. and how did Nehemiah know that this was a false prophet? Uh, because the message was contrary to the Word of God. That's like 101 Christianity. If what somebody's telling you, this is what you should do, or how you should act, or where you should go or not go, or do, or this, or whatever, you know, and it's contrary to what the Bible teaches, then throw it in the toilet. You know, it's wrong. It, it's ne- God's never going to contradict Himself. He's never going to contradict His Word. He knew that only priests should go into the temple. And, and he, of course, he knew that he shouldn't be acting in his own self-interest. He knew that's not what God intended. He intended us to trust him. And so, again, it was easy to spot that in one sense, because even though it supposedly came from a representative of God, it wasn't because it contradicted God's word. And when Nehemiah saw all this, he says in verse 14, My God, remember Tobias and Balat according to their works, and, and the prophetess, Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. I don't know about you, but this is a sad verse to me. You know, and I could hear Nehemiah's heartfelt cry here. He's like, Father, these are my own people. 
I trust these people, these men and women who are supposed to be representing you and, and, and speaking for you. And, and, I, and, 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 and yet they're being used by the enemy to make me afraid. And I have to say, you know, as a believer, as a Christian, those are the ones that hurt the most. Those are the gut punches, you know, that really just knock the wind out of you. Um, you know, when it comes from somebody you think is a believer and a Christian or somebody that should know better or, or somebody that you're close to, those are the ones that really catch you off guard. You know, the ones that come from attack, you can see that, okay, I know them, you know, this and that. But it's the ones, man, that come from the inside like this. These are the really punches to the guts here. And I, I can just hear the sorrow and sadness and and in his heartfelt thing, like, Lord, I trusted these. They're supposed to represent you. I'm here helping them rebuild the walls so that they could, you know, you know, teach God's word and encourage God's people and do all the things that you call them to do in the Old Testament and all this stuff. And yet, you know, these guys are taking bribes and on the payroll and working against you. But again, Nehemiah was faithful, wasn't distracted. He's staying focused on the Lord's call. And because of that, verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elu in 52 days. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they had perceived that this work was done by our God. I love that. That's like, you know, the highlight, underline, Versus here, you know, mark up here is, you know, by sticking to what uh, the Lord had called him to do and to be faithful and not fearful, not getting distracted, it was finished. And when it was finished, it wasn't like, oh, Nehemiah, you're such a great guy. No, everybody, the Jews inside, the, the you know, the God's people on the inside and the enemies and everybody else on the outside understood that, man, the only way this could have all happened was by God himself. <laughs> and God was glorified in, to, in front of everybody. And, and again, uh, that, that's the true mark of, of the work of God, is God get, gets the glory in the end. And again, the, the great thing is that even the enemies could see that this work was from him. Remember that. When we're faithful, when we don't get discouraged, when we don't get distracted, and we're not afraid of things, and we're not wasting, chasing our tails, defending ourselves, and uh, you know, retaliating, and all this kind of stuff, you know, God's work moves forward, and He gets the glory, and uh, and and things are are amazing. Now, it was not easy for Nehemiah, but you know, this is always the end result. And let's finish with this. And also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ariah, the son of Jehoahana. He married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So now when this is done, and let me just finish with this. Give me your attention for the last few minutes here. Uh, I just want to close with this important thing. Is now, you know, as this wall's done, everything's getting done, and now he got, you know, the gut punch by these people just lying and trying to deceive him, and they're being used and paid off by the enemy. Then he, he sees you know, the curtains pulled back, if you would, and you see that some of these people, God's people, who were supposed to represent God, they were supposed to be part of God's people, you know what happened? They started marrying, as I kind of said in the beginning, all these other people outside of God's people, and they were political marriage, which gave them more power, but they became family. And now Tobiah and these guys that are working, that we've been talking to, work, working against Nehemiah and God's work there, they're connected to him, they're family. And, and, and again, um, you know, he sees how all this is going down. 
what they're doing is this, and, and let me finish with this quote, and this is, uh, uh, was written very well, and I thought it was great. You know, how could the Jews turn their backs on their own heritage, their own brothers and sisters, their own God? The bonds of human connection were stronger than the bonds of spiritual affection. Because Tobiah was tied to the tribe of Judah through marriage, the nobles of Judah gave the loyalty to him that they should have given to God. The men of Judah forgot that they were married to Jehovah God and owed him their love and loyalty. Okay, you got that. I think we'd all agree. And let me finish with this last one. But before we criticize these Jewish nobles, let us examine our own lives. Are we totally yielded to the Lord and fully obedient to Him? Do we ever permit human relationships to influence our decisions so much that we deliberately disobey the Word of God? What a good question. Here it is. They were allowing their family ties and their family relationships and intermarriage. And yes, they weren't supposed to intermarriage, but they did. But they put those family calls and decisions and things above obeying and above the word and the work of the Lord. They put those first. And it caused a lot of problems there. But it's still a, a, a constant problem within the church today. And we need to be careful. Who's number one in our lives? What's number one? What's the most important? And, and, and again, what are the commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Very important. But we can't get things out of order. It's not like, well, I do what my husband wants or my children do or my parents say or my brothers and sisters say or this aunt and uncle or that or whatever, some other kind of relationship or something. And, and then, Lord, you know, if it fits in, I'll, I'll kind of take it. And we're called to obey him above all. That doesn't mean we throw up in everybody's face and do all this kind of stuff. But we need to remember where our priorities were, are and should be, which is, you know, obeying and loving him. And then Jesus says, and everything else will work out. You know, do what you're supposed to do right first. And you don't lose anything by this. This is not a losing proposition. You're not going to lose this. No, no, no. You put things in order and things will be right. You never lose anything by trusting and obeying and following uh, the Lord and his word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time, Lord, and there are so many important lessons here in the book of Nehemiah, and I pray that we would just uh, hold on to them, glean them, and allow you to work in our hearts, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name.